The decline of language must ultimately have political and economic causes, George Orwell wrote in Politics in the English Language, published in 1946. Now, the decline of language isn't the only relevant Orwellian theme of the times we're currently living in, but thankfully it is one that economist and author Michael Hudson has tackled in his latest book, J is for Junk Economics, A Guide to Reality in an age of deception. Originally written as an appendix, Hudson's created an economic dictionary that challenges a vocabulary of deception used by the media and political elites alike to create, as he describes it, an economy of a parallel universe that has the majority of Americans acting against their own best interests. I'm really excited to have you back on the program, Michael. It's great to see you. It's good to be back. So this book was 10 years in the making in that period. Have you seen any new, exciting, or terrifying obfuscations, lies, and uh, ways of talking about the economy? Well, fortunately, things got worse and worse since uh, 2008. And as a result, I greatly expanded it, made it a completely uh, different book. And also, I made the whole focus on the vocabulary. Because uh, economics is turned into an Orwellian vocabulary where words mean exactly the opposite of what they used to mean. So give us like, an example. Well, reform. Uh, reform used to mean uh, for labor unions and consumer protection and regulation. Now reform is used by the IMF. It means you have to cut back wages, you have to uh, uh, shift taxes off uh, the 1% onto uh, consumers, uh, you have to uh, scale back pensions, you have to scale back Social Security, and you have to impose austerity. So it's just the opposite. Uh, uh, it's as if the uh, one per the rentier class, another word that has fallen out of use, the rentier class, has uh, uh, won. And uh, they now call themselves the job creators That's right. instead of the uh, idle rich or the free lunchers or uh, the words that uh, people used to know them by. <laughs> what, in your view, is an economy for? It's a question I like to ask economists. What do you think an economy is actually about? It's about uh, letting people who don't work make uh, uh, all, all the economic gains for themselves, leaving nothing for the people who actually do work. Well, that's what it is. What should it be? Uh, it should be just the opposite. Uh, the whole idea of uh, Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill and all of the classical economists that are considered the patron saints of uh, free marketers, their idea of free market was exactly the opposite. So here we have another Orwellian turn. Uh, for uh, Adam Smith, a free market was a market free of landlords. Uh, you wouldn't have them anymore. Uh, that was uh, the first thing that he picked up in his travels in France with the physiocrats. John Stuart Mill said uh, economic rent is what landlords make in their sleep without working. And he wanted the, the government, basically they were called Ricardian socialists. They wanted the government to collect all the rent so that the only income people would get would be income they make from actually being productive, mm. for making things, for making goods and services. And now the idea of productivity uh, is just the reverse. It's defined as how much money uh, Goldman Sachs, for instance, can make from the rest of the economy without doing any work. Is there anything new in the way Trump or his colleagues talk about the economy insofar as you can make sense of it? You're making the point that it's difficult to make sense of in the best of times. I don't think he really talks about the economy. He talks about, here's a beautiful picture, how America could be, and he never talks about how he'll get there, never talks about what he'll do. Uh, in his uh, speeches uh, before Congress, there's, there isn't a program. So I have no idea what he believes. He does throw out words 
like infrastructure spending, nationalism, tr fair trade. I mean, language that crops up in his speeches we have heard before, even if we've no idea what meanings are attached now. Uh, the, me the meanings now are very different from what they used to be. Uh, in the late 19th century, uh, Simon Patton, who was the first economics professor at the first business school, the Wharton School of Business, said uh, America's going to get rich on infrastructure because it's a fourth factor of production besides labor, land, and capital. Public infrastructure actually is the largest capital investment in every economy. Now but we're talking schools, roads, schools, roads everything. Hospitals. That, yes, and these are uh, most uh, of the investment of every country is in this. And Patton pointed out that the objective of schools and education and roads isn't to make a profit. Uh, it's just the opposite. It's to lower the cost of living and lower the cost of doing business because if the government uh, produces, provides this in social infrastructure, free or on a subsidized basis, uh, then you can, uh, you can afford to undersell other countries that have privatized the infrastructure. So when uh, Donald Trump talks about private-public partnership, he means infrastructure for profit. So we're so, told that everything that's private is better than everything that's public. It's not true, but is that the case that he's making again today? Well, better for whom? It's better for the stock underwriters. It's better for the owners. The reason infrastructure was in the public domain for hundreds of years in Europe was because they're natural monopolies, and you don't want a, a monopolists to own the roads or the schools or the cable systems or the health insurance because they will try to squeeze the monopoly for whatever the market will bear, and that's called rent extraction. And uh, if you uh, privatize it for profit, then the cost of using these roads, the cost of using education, the cost of using uh, water and sewer are going to uh, rise so much that the economy is going to begin looking like uh, England after Margaret Thatcher. So talk about the importance of this conversation about infrastructure right now, because we just had a housing crisis that was created out of the financial class's desperation to find something else they could trade and make a buck on. Is the infrastructure the last thing that private capitalists have to exploit? It's like conquering a new country. It's the largest uh, amount of wealth in the world that has not been privatized and grabbed. And uh, basically privatization is uh, what the Russians call it, gravitization. Uh, and the way you grab it is financially. You force uh, cities and states and governments into deficit uh, and you say, well, you can't pay the loans like Greece. You'll have to repay by selling off the public domain. Sell us your ports. Sell us your land. Sell us your museums. Sell us your tourist sites. Sell us your schools, your electric companies, and uh, now we will privatize them. And now, once they're privatized, not only do you have to pay profit, you have to pay interest, you have to pay management fees. Uh, the company looks like something Mitt Romney would have taken over. And you have huge capital gains, and you have to pay this in a foreign currency, because they're usually foreigners. Well, in this country, well, in Greece there was resistance. Yes. In this country, is there resistance? Do you see it out there? Did Bernie Sanders provide an alternative way of looking things? Does Elizabeth Warren? Well, there have not been any uh, marches against it. Uh, there's no been it's march. early days so far. Early days, but uh, the marches have uh, uh, been divided uh, into non-economic identity. You don't have a working class 
march. You don't have a wage earners march. You don't have a peace march. You don't have an anti-war march. You don't have a, a march against the new Cold War. You don't have a march keep infrastructure public. Uh, or uh, you don't have a march for single-payer health care. Even though Donald Trump in one of his early uh, campaign speeches said, well, of course, single-payer is the most efficient, which it is. Uh, none of, nobody's marching about economic subjects. They've been hijacked basically by the Democratic donor class into uh, uh, women for Wall Street, LGBTQ for Wall Street, and uh, the Cold War, and uh, uh, they've been hijacked for non-economic causes, and nobody's talking about these things. Well, we sure as hell try to talk about them on this program, yeah. but then again, that's this. Let's talk a bit about war. You mentioned it in your catalog of things that doesn't have a strong movement around it. Wars historically have kind of rescued crisis capitalism, or capitalism in crisis. We've got a lot of them going on, but it doesn't seem to be working, or is it? Working for whom? I mean, uh, uh, it's not working in the sense that Hillary's war in uh, Libya destroyed the country and the, turned the arms over to ISIS, which uh, President Obama said, these are, we're going to use ISIS uh, is, uh, to work with our friends against uh, the bad dictator there. And essentially, this is part of Samantha Power's R2P, yeah. the responsibility to privatize, uh, saying that if you don't uh, protect your country and privatize it by selling to us, you're doing the wrong things, and uh, we will have to uh, protect you by bombing you so that there won't be any more people to oppose privatization and we can take over. So and that's pretty consistent across multiple administrations. First Bush, Clinton, second Bush, and yes, Obama. Yes, it's all been as if it's a single administration. And uh, basically, it seems to be the uh, what's called the dark state and the people who were uh, forcing uh, uh, Trump to get rid of Flynn uh, and are now uh, focusing their eyes on Trump just in case he really was serious about making peace with Russia. I, I call it the light state. Come on now. What? <laughs> Let's call it the light state, light state for once. Let's touch on a couple of other things. One, I do want to hear what you made of the Bernie Sanders campaign and whether you think Elizabeth Warren provides any kind of alternative. Um, and then finally, I think there's a lot of people out there who'd like some help in how do they make sense of the reporting that's coming their way. Among other things, we're being told the stock market is soaring and that's somehow good for all of us. That the idea is a bait and switch. The idea is to make it appear as if the stock market reflects how well the economy is doing. But it's really just the opposite. Uh, stocks are pushed up by companies not investing in, uh, uh, in expanding in, uh, in production. It, uh, instead of putting money into new investment, instead of uh, putting money into the pension funds or uh, improving living conditions, they're using their profits to, for stock buybacks uh, and basically for dividend payouts. Now, that pushes up the stock market uh, instead of actual investment. So the higher the stock market goes, that means you're stripping the economy. It's called asset stripping. Uh, and uh, asset stripping, which is pushing up the market and debt leveraging, is the exact opposite of how to really get rich. So the economy is being loaded down with debt. There's, it's deindustrialized, and all of that is applauded on the mainstream media. You got an education in music. How did you get so smart about all this? And how can the rest of us get smarter, apart from reading your books, which is obvious? By never taking an edu a economics course in college, uh, I came to New York and I met uh, an economist uh, a uh, friend of uh, my best friend Gavin McFadgen and uh, the Terence and uh, the Economist was had trained most of the Wall Street leaders and at that time in the 1960s 
um, all the major bank economists were Marxists. You had to know how to read a balance sheet, and you had to know that the system was all about exploitation. If you, if you went to business school and you didn't know that, you just couldn't do very well on Wall Street. So uh, I, I got fascinated with uh, uh, Marx's theories of surplus value. Became uh, I did get a PhD in economics as a union card, and I learned everything I, basically, working uh, as Chase Manhattan's balance of payments economist and Arthur Anderson and for banks on Wall Street about how the economy uh, actually worked. And how do we get smarter? I mean, it does seem to me that in the era of Occupy Wall Street, there was a lot of talk about change in the curriculum of traditional economics teaching, whether it was at Harvard or Chicago or all the major schools. Has that progressed? Are people getting a more um, diversified view of economic theory, which after all is theory, not biblical truth? No, it's almost impossible to fix a discipline that has become so rigidified. Uh, and uh, the University of Chicago, uh, Harvard, the uh, free marketers realized that in order to have a free market economy, you have to have a totalitarian control of the curriculum. You can't have any discussion of history or any alternative. That's Margaret Thatcher's principle. There is no alternative. So uh, rather than uh, try to reform a discipline where all of the perceptive people have dropped out, uh, you'd have to create a new discipline. I called myself a futurist since the 1970s because that wasn't tainted with uh, economics. Uh, what is an economist? Someone who tells you to get rich by, we need austerity, uh, we need to give money to the job creators, uh, the 1% who really don't create jobs, they, they're outsourcers and uh, downsizers. Uh, so we need, we need a, a new uh, university mm. department in order to talk about how the world really works. All right, so that's where I want to end. As a futurist, assuming that you have a good sense of the future, how do you describe this moment? How will history describe this moment? And you've avoided the questions about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren along the way. Well, the uh, history of, uh, of, there was a turning point in 2008, uh, and the turning po point that normally would have happened to restore growth would have been to write down the debts. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of junk mortgage debt. There was so much debt that the economy could not grow under the uh, uh, mortgage debt and the student debt. And instead of fulfilling his campaign promise to uh, write down the mortgages to the actual real value of buildings and the carrying charge to the rental value, uh, uh, Obama backed his campaign contributors, not his voters, and uh, stood up for Wall Street, didn't cancel the debt, and so so right now, uh, as a result of what's happened in 2008, not only in America, but in Europe, uh, that's become a dead zone for the Eurozone, in Greece, uh, this will be the period of the slow crash, going gradually down and down and down as the debts mount up and crowd out spending on goods and services. So basically, uh, it's an economic shrinkage uh, that will continue uh, until people finally think of an alternative and fight back, uh, but the alternative is not going to come from economics departments. It'll have to come from the people realizing that things don't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be the way it is. There is an alternative, Mrs. Thatcher, and everyone else who's paying attention. Michael Hudson, thank you so much. It's just great to talk with you it's again. It's great to be back here. I wish you were teaching economics every day.